The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Uh, th- this morning, um, we are going to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as we end 2019 and look toward 2020, not just the end of a year, but the end of the 2000. Teens and the beginning of, of this another season, when you think about the living and the loving and the labor that goes into a year or into several years, it, it's hard work. It's hard work. Um, it's, it's full of joy, some great times, full of sadness, some, some tragic times, some difficult times, full of pain, uh, maybe full of days that are bitter sometimes, full of forgiveness. But it's a lot of work. It's, it's a season that's also, for us, full of mistakes. We don't live life perfectly. I want to tell you about one of those mistakes. It's in your bulletin this morning. In your bulletin, it says, Sola Deo Gloria, which it, I thought was for God's glory alone. I was thinking about the five solas of the Reformation, Sola Fide uh, Sola Scriptura, these others, and my, my son, after we had printed bulletins, said, hey, Dad, it's not Sola, it's Soli. He knows a little bit more about Latin than I do. And so I said, wait, are you, are you sure, Nate? He goes, yeah, it's a different word for him. You got that wrong. I hope you haven't printed those. <laughs> and I just looked at him and said, well, I was bound to get something wrong in 2019, so there it is, right? <laughs> But at the end of every one of his musical compositions, Johann Sebastian Bach, a lot of people know this, he wrote these three letters, Soli Deo Gloria, for God's glory alone. And in his day, before he died in 1750, some people in the church loved his music, some people in the church didn't love his music. They thought it was too complex. And he said, You know, people write simple music for the glory of God. People write complex music for the glory of God. But when I write, I write for the glory of God. So at the end of every composition, he would put these three letters, SDG, Soli Deo Glory. A lot of people know that. There's something that he put at the beginning of his compositions as well. But you gotta stick around for about 30 minutes if you wanna know what that is. But I wondered, what does it look like as we look to 2020, what would the year look like for us as as people, but also as a church, to be able to look at the end of the year and kind of at the end of our year that we would write, Soli Deo Gloria, that here's 2020, a year for the glory of God alone. And I, I thought... 1 Thessalonians 1 describes a church maybe that was seeking by God's grace to live like that and it's really amazing when you think about the work that God is doing and how Paul describes these brothers and sisters in Christ because when he was traveling, he went through Thessalonica, he's beaten and left for dead and then he goes into Berea and he says the Bereans were more noble character than the Thessalonians. They examined everything according to the scripture. The Brians did not beat him and leave him for dead. But God did something in the church in Thessalonica. He raised up a people in Christ that were transformed, and Paul and his traveling companions are really amazed by it. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ 
grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. <clears throat> and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, Jesus, you indeed do that for all who are in Christ. You deliver us from the wrath to come. We wait for you, God, and we pray that our lives will be marked by works of faith, labors of love, and steadfast hope in Jesus, that we would be a people who continuously receive the gospel, not just in word only, but in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction God, that we would be a people of joy even in the midst of affliction and that the word would continue to sound forth from TBC, not just in our region, but over all the earth. God, we ask this, that our joy might be full in Christ and that you might get glory. You've created us to that very end. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is the evidence of a church that is living in this SDG or solely Deo Gloria for God's glory alone sort of way? Well, Paul tells us the first thing is that the word comes in power and full conviction. The word comes in power and full conviction. Brothers, we know, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. What does that mean? They are the sort of people who've heard the gospel taught and as they've heard it, as they hear it, the spirit of God empowers them to what Paul calls the obedience of faith. In Romans, when he's writing Romans, in Romans 1.5, Paul says that he has become an apostle. He was made an apostle by God to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. It's this faith in God, this full trust in Jesus that leads to transform living, that lives are changed because we believe that Jesus is Lord. And so as they hear, the Spirit empowers them to this. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit, which is part of what Jesus said he came to do, that he would come to convict us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, and then they are shaped by the word. Well, how does this happen? How is a church hearing the gospel, not just in word, but in power and in full conviction in the Holy Spirit, I think it happens over and over and over again. What we tend to want in our culture is this magic moment, this esoteric experience where something really amazing happens. And then the rest of life with Christ is just a breeze, but for the majority of us, that's not the case. 
Most of the time, growth happens this way. I, I like to phrase it like this, that growth in Christ is empowered by the Spirit through ordinary means of grace. Growth in Christ is empowered by the Spirit through ordinary means of grace. Another way to phrase that is through spiritual disciplines, these things we do to commune with God and one another in Christ that help us to grow in grace. Well, what are these ordinary means? What are these ordinary means? I'm gonna talk about four today. I'm gonna talk about the word of God, prayer, community, and then one more. See, to grow and for the word to come to us, it means that we've gotta be a people who are feeding on the word daily. Some of you have a plan to read the Bible in 2020. Some of you don't have a plan. It's a great idea to get a plan, whether it's to read the Bible in a year, read the Bible in two years, read the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs in a year, but it's communing with God. It's setting your mind on things above so that your gaze might be fixed on Christ. As Paul says in Colossians 3, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Not once a week on Sunday, not once a week in a class or in a small group, but all the time, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we feed on the word daily. We seek the things above. One of my favorite stories that I ever heard Gary DeSalvo share, he, he shared early last year in his sickness, and it was a pretty simple story, but I just loved it. Man, he talked about the fact that he loved food. And I don't remember if he rubbed his belly or pointed to it, but he, he said something to the effect of, obviously, I love food. He loves seafood, and he said something like this, that I don't remember, but maybe 10 or 15 of the meals that I've eaten but obviously I've been nourished by more than 10 or 15 meals. In fact, they all nourished me. See, it's, it's not these one or two moments that we go and eat the word, but it's that we feast on it every day. For me, when I, when I thought about that concept and I thought about the times that I go to the scripture and you may go to the scripture every morning and it's just this magical, amazing time for you every day. It's not like that for me. Some days it is. Some days it's amazing. and It's like the words are jumping off the pages. Other days it's, it's really dry and I'm just thinking, is there something wrong with me? Am I missing something? But each day I'm learning. For me, it's, it's not so much like meals. It's, it's maybe more like granola bars. Um, every night almost I wake up sometime between 1.30 and 2 a.m., and sometimes I stay up for about 30 minutes and, and read and get a little bit of work done. But a lot of nights, I'm just kind of half asleep, but I'm not going back to sleep until I get a granola bar. And I, I love these granola bars. Now, honestly, I don't remember eating most of them. I'm just kind of walking through it. But somebody said, how many granola bars have you eaten in your adult life, Chase? And I said, about 30 pounds too many, <laughs> Right? But each one has clearly nourished me. When we go to the word each day, it's just a means of the grace of God to speak the word of God by the spirit of God into our hearts, into our minds, so that over and over and over, we're shaped by it. 
We're changed by it. See, we want to grow like flowers. They grow up and they bloom and they're beautiful. But then flowers die quickly. But trees, trees grow over time and you don't see them growing. I've never walked outside and wow, looks like that pin oak grew a lot overnight. See, over the seasons, they really grow. And if I don't trim mine back every three or four years, they've grown so much that they're pressing into my house. They can withstand storms. That's what it's like to take the ordinary means of grace. It's the spiritual discipline of being in the word and being shaped by God. The second is prayer. It's prayer that we would be a people of prayer, that we're to pray without ceasing, that we're to give thanks and make our requests known to God. We're to pray when there's someone sick. We're to pray when we're well. We're to praise God when things are going well and we're to praise God when things are not going well. We're to pray together. We're to pray in the morning. We're to pray at night, all times and in every season. And as we do, we confess that we need God. And when we do that, he gets glory and we get grace. It's a means of grace as we cry out to God and commune with God that the Holy Spirit uses to answer and to act and to shape our lives so that we are a people who are receiving the gospel, not in word only, but in the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's alive in us with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It comes through the word, it comes through prayer, and it comes community. So much of what Paul describes to the churches is them loving one another, bearing with one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, serving one another. You can't do all these one another's if you're not with others. Christianity is lived out in community and that's why we value authentic biblical community because the scripture gives a picture of the church loving one another and doing life together. A new year's a great time if you're not in a life group to jump in one. And what you'll find as you jump in one is that there are Christians just like you and just like me who are struggling to follow Jesus by his grace and nobody there is perfect and we've all got issues, but we're seeking to walk with Christ together. There's a curved counter in our lobby that there are folks there that can give you information about small groups. If you're not in a life group, I encourage you to get one or to get in one, see the ordinary means of grace shape our lives. It happens through the word, it happens through prayer, it happens through community, and then the fourth one that I wanna talk about today is it happens through fasting. It's this ordinary means of grace that's just forgotten. Almost 12 years ago, it was early spring of 2008, I was walking down a, a dirt road in Juarez, Mexico with our global outreach pastor, Brandon Brewer. He was not our global outreach pastor then. He was 18 and young and dumb. And he had gone with me on a mission trip and I was at this mission camp in Juarez and, and what we were doing is we would work with students during the day and then at night teach them about missions. And so I invited Brandon, his freshman year at University of Maryland Baylor to go with me. Um, and we were walking along to get a Mexican Coke, a real sweet, great Coke. Because um, I would do that to take breaks during the day. These kids would work really hard and I've never wanted to be falsely accused of working real hard. So throughout the day, I would take a break about every 30 minutes and go get a Coke. And, uh, and so we're walking and I was gonna ask Brandon some questions just to think about the Lord. And so I just said, Brandon, what do you think is the most neglected, neglected spiritual discipline? And I, and I asked him that because I thought he'll say prayer. 
because that's what most people say, but it's probably fasting and nobody thinks about fasting. And so Brandon, we're walking, headed to get our Coke and he's just quiet for a second. And he goes, you know, I'm tempted to say prayer, but it's probably fasting because nobody talks about fasting. And I thought, you know what? I think I like this kid. And he's not a kid anymore. He's a father of four and leading this ministry that we have. But fasting, when we do it, is this great opportunity to say to the Lord, I long for you this much. If it's a fast from social media, I long for you more than I long to see the latest and greatest things happening in the lives of people I know or maybe don't know. When we fast from food and, and we get hungry, some of you go, I, I can't remember what it's like to be hungry. But what we're saying is I long for you, like my stomach longs for food. I long for you, Jesus. I want to know you. And as we do, God gets glory and we get grace. We're not just fasting from something, we're feasting on someone named Jesus. And fasting is an ordinary means of grace where the gospel ends up coming to us in power with the Holy Spirit and full conviction. So I wanna invite you with me in January to fast about four things. I wanna tell you what those four things are and my prayer is that these will be a means of grace that God works and it uses to work in our lives to conform us together into the image of Christ. So I'm gonna fast on Mondays and, and it doesn't have to look for you like it looks for me. Your fast might be different than mine, but from sunrise to sunset, I'm not gonna eat. And from sunrise to sunset, I'll have some times through the day where I'm gonna pray. But then whenever I feel those hunger pains, and if you eat like me, that'll probably be a lot. I'm gonna cry out to the Lord, and on the 6th, I'm just gonna ask the Lord that we might more and more be surrendered to Jesus, that we might recognize him as king in such a way that every part of our lives, for me as an individual, for my family, and for us as a church, that we might look like a people, conform to the image of Christ, surrender to him as king. That's what I'll pray for when I fast on the 6th. Then on, on Monday the 13th, I'm gonna fast and pray that we might more and more live an authentic biblical community. That we might know and understand the deep and beautiful privilege that is ours in loving and being loved by others in Christ. And then, God, that you would use this as, as we gather uh, and love one another to show the world what it looks like when people are following Jesus. It's the very thing that Jesus said would happen when we love one another. So I'm gonna pray that we'd be surrendered to Jesus. I'm gonna fast on the 13th and pray that we might live an authentic biblical community. And I would love for us as a church to do this together on the 20th, that we might continue to live sacrificially on mission together. That our lives would be marked by sacrificial living on mission together. And then on the 27th, I'm gonna pray for the salvation of somebody I'm sharing Christ, be sharing Christ with in 2020. There's this guy that comes to my mind and whenever I see him in temple, it's usually in a public place and he's got this great smile on his face and, and we visit and it's this wonderful time, but he just does not know Christ and I so desperately long for him to know Christ. And it'll take a work of the spirit of God in his life for him to know Christ. So I'm gonna cry out. January 27th for this friend that I want to know Jesus. And as I say that, some of you, somebody comes to your mind, oh yes, I want them to know Christ. So I'm gonna fast and pray January 27th that they will come to know Christ this year. 
Others of you, nobody comes to mind, but when you go home today, maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood, someone you work with, maybe it's someone in your school, maybe it's a family in your kid's school, but that we together would be crying out to Jesus, Jesus, we long for you more than we long for food, more than we long for these other things. We wanna feast on you that we might be shaped by your Holy Spirit this year. Because growth in Christ comes about by ordinary means of grace. See, the church in Thessalonica, the word came to them, not just in word, but in power with the Holy Spirit and full conviction. And then they proved to be a joyful people in their life as a community. They proved to be joyful. They became imitators of us, Paul says, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. People in their region knew, oh, this church, they are filled with joy, even though they've gone through really difficult things, they're filled with joy. They set an example by their lives. This is a joy that's spirit raw. It's not something you can muster up. It's described as a fruit of the Spirit. That's a gift of God. It's a joy that's there in the midst of affliction and it sets an example. When I, when I thought about joyful people, some people in our body came to my mind that minister in difficult places. One of the first people that came to my mind was Karen Wistron, who leads Hope Pregnancy Center. So Karen spends her days with ladies and men who are involved in crisis pregnancies. Can you imagine the difficulty that she hears about and ministers to day in and day out, seeing ladies choose life for their unborn children, seeing these ladies and these men come to know Christ often. And I can imagine that life for her might be like it was for the Apostle Paul and as he described in 2 Corinthians when he said, we're sorrowful but always rejoicing. She's just filled with joy. And then I thought about Linda Strom as she leads Discipleship Unlimited and her son, Terry, and his wife, Jean, that their lives, their lives are spent with what Linda describes as the ladies in white. They go into prison and they hear stories of family brokenness, of pain, of sin, of heartache, and people who are stuck there for a while and still they're just so joyful. They're just so joyful in the midst of this affliction where they serve. In fact, Terry Strom, Linda's son, I don't know if you've ever seen his smile, but one time Terry got cut on the forearm and as he bled, they put it into a bottle and it became an essential oil called Joy. You can get it, it's $9.95, it will change your life, right? See, a church that has received the gospel not in word only, but in power with the Holy Spirit in full conviction is a church that can be joyful even in the midst of affliction. This joy comes when the one and others are being done well. See, one author says that love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets another's need. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets another's need. So again, this happens when the one and others are being done well. It's not one person in Thessalonica that's setting an example in their region and over all the earth. It's the church, the community of believers together who've been transformed by the power of the gospel. See, the, the word comes in power and full conviction. They set a an example in their life as a community and then the word goes out from them, not just in their region, but in all the world. 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, verse 8, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. The people are reporting what kind of reception we receive. Your faith has gone out into all the world. When I was thinking about this concept and how this is reflected in TBC, two of the first people that came to my mind were John and Beth Jazz. They're in France now visiting their son-in-law and two daughters who are on the field who've been serving there for a decade. And while there, they got to go and visit the Czech Republic where John and Beth served. Then they also served in Tanzania for a year and the word went forth into all the world. In our, in our, there's Linda Strom right there. I didn't even see you. Hey, Linda. In our 930 service, Mija Coles was sitting in here. Mija and Jack spent almost a decade in Tanzania as the word was going out into all the world. And then the Brandons were right over here in our 930 service. And the word goes out as they lead a, a local church in Southeast Asia. Steve Kiewit was here, who's serving in Southeast Asia as well. Byron and Rosemary Baird, who are here half the time. And then they go into Southeast Asia to train leaders there. And then with our youth at after service, Ryan and Megan Murphy will be talking about a trip that we've got coming up. And the word goes forth into all the world. And I believe it does this. It does this because all of life is for the glory of God, that the church is living this SDG kind of life and their very lives are a sign to the world, and not just their region, but to the world. When I talk, thought about that, I thought about these guys that hold up these John 3.16 signs, and then I thought about another story about a little boy carrying a sign that I wish I couldn't tell you, but I can, so I will. So my, my sister, when I was growing up, she loved this soap opera called The Days of Our Lives. Now, I was as masculine a little boy as you could imagine, so I did not love soap operas, right? But I was there with her while she watched it. <laughs> and there was a character played by a lady named Christian Alfonso, and her name was Hope. And as a 10-year-old boy, I thought Hope was pretty amazing, not because she was on Days of Our Lives. She had appeared in a couple of MacGyver episodes, okay? <laughs> but for my 11th birthday, Christian Alfonso, or Hope, was going to be at the Lake Charles Civic Center. Now, if you know anything about Southwest Louisiana, you know that the Lake Charles Civic Center is mainly famous for goat shows and rodeos, but not August 24th, 1985. Oh no, Christian Alfonso was gonna be there and it was my birthday. And so I went and I wanted her to know how amazing I thought she was. So as, as a, a 10-year-old boy turning 11, I got two sheets of poster board, punched holes, put yarn, sandwich sign, like full on, as amazing as you'd imagine. And it said, it's my birthday and Christian Alfonso is my only hope. <laughs> and it was as glorious as you might imagine, all 50 pound 10 year old to me as it was, right? And let me just tell you, Christian Alfonso thought it was amazing too. She was there for autographs. You couldn't go behind the table for pictures, but she came out with tears in her eyes because of this sign that said, Christian Alfonso is my only hope. Some of you still watch this trash. <laughs> so here's the thing. The Thessalonian church, their life 
was sounding forth in their region and to all the world. And their life together was like a poster board sign that said, Jesus Christ is our only hope. And they were living soli de glorio kinds of lives. And it was a sign to the world. And when that happens, when a church has heard the gospel, not just in word, but in power with the Holy Spirit and full conviction, when a church is is an example of joy to the believers, even in the midst of affliction, and when a church, their reputation, their example is going out, not just in their region, but in all the world. It's because the church is hoping in Jesus. Again, verse three, remembering before God and our Father your work of faith and labor of love and the steadfastness of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse nine, they report how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If we are to live solely day, gloria kinds of lives, then we will only do that by the grace of Jesus Christ. So as we think about what it looks like to live lives, here's some questions I want you to think about that I've been thinking about for about a month and a half. I invited some of our leaders to think about with me and I want you to think about and some of them, one of them looks back, two of them look forward. And the first thing is that when you look at maybe the last year, maybe the last several years, maybe the last decade, what can you thank God for what he's brought you through? What are the things that the Lord has brought you through? What has he done in you over the last year, several years, last decade that you would just wanna stop as this year ends and another begins and give him praise and give him thanks for being with you, give him thanks for answering, give him thanks for hearing? What are those things? Next question, what might we ask the Lord for as we look to the next year or several years or decade? What, what, what might we be asking God for as we look to the next year or several years or the next decade? And the third question is this, as we think about living lives for the glory of God alone, what might he be asking of us over the next year or several years or decade? What might Christ be asking of us as families and as a church, as individuals over the next year or several years. See, the Thessalonian church, they were surrendered to Jesus. They were living an authentic biblical community and they were living sacrificially on mission together so that the word went out into their region and all the world. They were living an SDG sort of life. See, Everybody knows that at the end of his compositions, Johann Sebastian Bach wrote SDG, Soli Deo Gloria, but not many people know what he wrote at the beginning of his compositions. As he would start to write, he would put these two little letters before he wrote down a note of music, before he wrote down the title of a work, he would put these two letters in English, J, J, in Latin, Jesu, Juva, Jesus, help. 
See, Johann Sebastian Bach knew that if by the grace of God, he was going to make something beautiful to carry out as a song for the world to hear, for God's glory, that it would only be by God's grace. And so he wrote these two letters as a prayer saying, Jesus help. So if we are to live solely Deo, Gloria kinds of lives, if we're to take the gospel, not in word only, but in power with the Holy Spirit and full conviction, if we're to set an example of joy even in the midst of affliction, if the word of God is to continue to go out from us, not just in our city, in our region, but into all the world, it's only by the grace of Jesus that this can happen in 2020. So let's ask him for that grace right now and Jesus help. That's our cry. It's been a hard year. But God, when there was calamity, you brought comfort. When there was hurt, you brought hope. When there was pain, you brought your presence and your power and your promises and and you remind us of your purpose that you accomplished through your people. So Father, as we go into 2020, wanting to live for your glory alone, wanting to be people who are shaped by the word of God and the power of the spirit of God inside us as he guides us into all truth from your word. By people who wanna live joyful lives in the midst of affliction so that the word would go out, not just in our region, but in all the world. We say, Jesus, help. We say, Jesus, help. You've created us that we might give you glory and enjoy you forever. So Jesus, help us. Help us to have joy and help us to give you glory as we seek to live out this next year in Christ together.